0: We want to record this, so everyone can listen in later and judge, um, or or if you missed. Uh, We want to record this. We'll have this up on our website as well. So if you have missed some of our other things, like um, some of our values, those are on our website, and some old sermons as as well. Uh, Malcolm is gone this week. Uh, He is celebrating his brother's wedding, so that's good, Um, and... We gotta find a way to bring his brother to Waco. Um, mm-hmm. He can play guitar real well. <laughs> <laughs> He's really well. Yeah. So we'll be back next. Malcolm and Desiree will be back next week, and uh, yeah. So um, what I wanted to do uh, today is ask, not just talk about this, but ask some questions. And so it would not just be lecture, but be kind of interactive. And so feel free to speak up and uh, ask or. Uh, there's a fly or say (laughs) feel free to speak up about there's a fly Uh, (laughs) (laughs) let me ask a question Uh, why another church that is maybe a question some of you guys may have already Um, why another church in Waco Uh, Waco has a lot is kind of known for having an abundance and a surplus of churches and banks (laughs) there's pretty much those on every corner (laughs) and if you've driven around east waco you can probably say the same thing not not about banks which is a problem and we want to talk about that um but there is a it's quite a few churches in this area as well and so again why another church and why another one in east waco um or a harder question i'm not asking you to answer these yet um Why should I leave the status quo uh, when the status quo is pretty good? Um, To be honest, uh, as Lawrence talked about, starting a church plant is going to be tough. We don't have all the amenities of a megachurch. We don't have the fog machine. I'm sorry. Uh, We all wanted to walk out to that. Um, But... (laughs) designated gift. Vomish. I have to buy it now, apparently. No, you don't. No, okay. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Um, but change is never easy. I mean, changing and starting something new is, is never easy. In fact, I, I would say we do everything we can to not change. Um, we we want to make things as uh, as convenient and as easy as possible, and what can not mess up my week? Um, A church plant will do that. (laughs) Um, But what I want us to see today is that the cost of staying the same is actually far costlier than the cost of making a change. I think that's what this book is about. That the cost of, of keeping the status quo is actually far costlier than the inconvenience of stepping out in faith and doing something like what we're talking about doing. And so um, what this book is trying to answer is, why does religion have so little impact on the racial divisions of today? It was actually Billy Graham in the 1950s who said it first, and Martin Luther King used it as well. They both kind of were using this phrase that said that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning – I'm messing up there. Um, That 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. And so highlighting that the churches have the most segregation than even in our country. And at that time in the 50s, it was only 4% of churches were integrated, 4%. And as we've progressed and we've we've come along so far as our country, in 94, we we grew four percentage points So in 94, we were at 8% integrated churches. And in the last 15 years, we've moved another 4 percentage points. So we're making progress. Or you could see it the other way, that 88% of our nation and 88% of our churches are still segregated and are still divided. So you have uh, an all-white church, an all-black church, an all-Hispanic church, And we don't see that much integration. And so we're actually going to talk about some hard stuff today. And I want to give a big primer to that because this stuff that we talk about typically when we talk through this book, if if you haven't read it, some of the stuff can be like jarring and it can make you feel like you're being singled out. But let, let me please, 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 please hear me when I say this. That's not what we're trying to do. Uh, let me read Romans 3 to us. I think that's a good spot for us to use scripture, but also <coughs> Romans 3 kind of puts us all in the same boat. <laughs> Romans 3, uh 3, 10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I don't know if he can be clearer than that, (laughs) (laughs) but, (laughs) and then he says, let me just give you the picture, and he kind of goes into all, I won't read it all, but he talks about the throat, the tongues, the lips, the mouth, the feet, so all of you, all of you is depraved, all of you is affected by the fall, and so he's saying we are all bent away from God's original design from us, but, What's beautiful about that, he kind of paints the bleakest picture possible for, for human beings. But then in verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction famous verse for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is saying, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think. <laughs> but cheer up. Jesus loves you anyways. And it's just so like con- such a stark contrast of the darkness of the human heart and then the absolute love of Christ right there uh, in those couple verses. And so he's saying there is a righteousness, a right standing that doesn't depend on you. And so there, there's a temptation when we talk about these issues is for us to feel defensive. And I just want us to say, like, it's not about us. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And so if we can just kind of come together and say, like, my heart is dark as Paul describes it, I think we're able to then talk about these issues. If we come with a shred of hope in ourselves, I think it's, that's when things get we want to kind of defend and, 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 and protect our righteousness. And so know that you're loved and know that I'm in this boat with you. I'm part of that. No one is good with, with us. <laughs> um, all right, so now, now to the time where I'm going to ask the question and I want you to answer with me. Can we even talk about this? Can the church even have this discussion? Can the church have discussion on race and racism and injustice and policies that our political leaders have sway over. Can the church have those discussions? And don't just say yes or no.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> should, is that a better question? Should the church have these discussions?
2: About how should. How should. should. <laughs> I don't have the answer, but I think it's question. <laughs>
0: how <laughs> what do y'all think like I, one maybe it's just we're thinking hard on the question two d- how have you seen the church do talk on race racial issues, injustices policies in a negative way
2: you gotta answer that um, lots of browbeating how awful we are for not being better integrated and you know y'all need to do something
0: about it and... mm. so kind of just shame yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we don't want to leave with that for sure mm-hmm. have you guys seen it done where it's more of an absence where it's not talked about at all uh, yeah. is that mostly what we mostly see about. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah why why disturb the Aren't we all okay with each other? Mm. Majority do, so. Why disturb the peace? Uh, There's so much loaded in that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though because sure yeah. it's what I've heard. <laughs>
3: uh, I, I have, So I'm a big fan of McCray, and I've been listening to
0: him for years. Yeah, and, um, this is Evan Ilzada, By the way, everybody. <laughs>
4: for, the, for the recording
0: <laughs> now go on well um,
3: maybe, maybe it was two years ago they came out with an album that was very different and mm-hmm. I, now it's, the name of the album is slipping my mind but it was very different in content mm-hmm. um, and he said some things that he's about to rock the boat and, it, and once you start rocking the boat better have a life vest because there's gonna be a lot of problems. And, um, so I, I think when he started rapping about the problems in, 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 um, in this with this issue, it became a lot more real to me. And uh, I think following that, there's a, an organization that I, I was following on Twitter that was a, a black reform group, and uh, they wanted to distance themselves from white evangelicalism just because of some of the issues that were going on they renamed themselves The Witness and a lot of you know Jamar Tisby spoke at Baylor recently um, which I did, I was unfortunate to make that, uh, uh, that but I don't probably made it to that I think that brought to light that there's some real issues in the church that shouldn't be there and, um, so I would say yes if you have prominent uh, people in, that are the church and they're saying this is there's a problem and mm-hmm. enough so that we want to distance ourselves from white evangelicalism then i think we should say what what is that problem and mm-hmm. how how do we address it um how we how do we go to the root of that problem mm-hmm. so uh, in that sense yes yeah yes
5: i think i think a, a reason at least i'm just thinking about my life growing up in churches and all that um, that's just avoided is because that's not a that's not a spiritual thing that's not a gospel thing that's political and we're not political right, right? It's, it's, it's out there for them to f- deal with it's not a spiritual mm-hmm. bible gospel thing yeah. so we just leave it alone
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I think so I think that's I think it's the primary way I've seen it negatively done mm-hmm. She agrees. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, I think the negative, another negative way is when I think we can go to – so I think the, if you have a, a spectrum, if you have um, – don't talk about it. Don't talk about political issues. And you have – if you're a Christian, you shall vote for X, Y, and Z. Um, I think that could be the far end of that spectrum. Um, and, and I think if we use shame to get you to this – <laughs> uh, is 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 also, uh, you know, obviously that just, I think that the church has failed in that in many regards of just using shame as a motivator. But um, the where I think the that comes from, we don't talk about that because it's politics. Because we need to separate the church from politics. Where that comes from is actually a guy named um, James Henley Thornwell. Um, He's a Southern Presbyterian minister, and what this is talking about is the spirituality doctrine. The reason we have this thought um, in our mind. Stated in its most classic form, it says, "...the church has no commission to construct society afresh, to change the forms of its political constitutions. The church has no right to solve our nation's problems." The church has a fixed and unalterable constitution, and that constitution is the word of God. She can announce what it teaches, enjoin what it commands, prohibit what it condemns, but beyond the Bible she can never go. And apart from the Bible, she can never speak. Rather, her authority and role is only ministerial and declarative, since the Holy Scriptures are the only rule of faith and practice. And so this de- position demands silence on matters of p- political and social policy, except when they are touched on issues of morality. How do we respond to that?
5: When did he say that? Do you know
0: what the timing? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so it was the nineteenth uh, century, um,
2: eighteen thirty. Um, so yeah. But, yeah. So my challenge to that, or is it firm and in the things? Um, I like Sean Lucas's continuing churches for a recent reference. Uh, it's a starting point. So if you start from Matthew onward, which is what it sounds like he's trying to do, um, you, you tend to fall down or you separate the two. But if you see the, biblically as a whole, the Exodus still means something. Mm-hmm. There, there was always a collective in the Old Testament where we somehow in America turned it into individuals. Mm-hmm. And I've heard, not growing up in the church, is a little bit weird. We like, I remember uh, guest preacher coming to college and saying, if we could only reach one person, and I was like, well, that's setting the bar low. <laughs> yeah. well, I was sort of, I was turned off. I didn't go to the meeting. I didn't go to these Christian meetings for a couple of weeks after that. Because I was like All right. <laughs> I was hoping the team would win. <laughs> We're just now after the one. <laughs> and I think that, that comes very much from, was that two? Two one, sorry. No, but, but I do think it comes out of, sort of what he's saying in the sense of if you look at the scripture as a whole we went from collective and in America we turned it into individuals mm-hmm. and in, typically individuals in power that got to yeah a, a I'll so
0: you're, you're pulling it all out from under me that was where we're ending <laughs> <laughs> that's okay yeah, that's okay um but let, let's let's get there. Let's, <laughs> get there let's get there let's get there that's how Bo responds to that how do how what else was response to the um the church cannot speak to fix the nation's problems. It can only speak on basically spiritual issues. What, is that, what, is, do you, what problem do you have with that? Or what response do you have with that?
4: Well, one of my responses is it is a spiritual issue. Right? Mm. And, and they're, they're, it's interesting that it's politicized in the first <laughs> place. Um, how did it get politicized would be one of my questions. But, but it's always been politicized. Yeah. Really, I think if you look historically, so, but we don't have to politicize it. It is a spiritual issue, and so the question becomes: Well, how is it a spiritual issue? How does this Bible speak to that? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, whenever the Bible speaks, um, whenever like the spiritual comes out, it, it is affecting social, economic, and political realities. It, it can, and it is re- political and. Because uh, it's an impacting public policy, like so. When Moses spoke to Pharaoh to let my people go, okay, that was letting the the injustice of slavery to let these these people go. But it's also now taking their their system and way of life and their their economic superpower, right? Is, is now like their their motor for their engine is now going away. Uh, when the prophets spoke to kings about issues of idolatry, when John the Baptist spoke out against Herod for having all of these wives. And that's what got him beheaded. Uh, when Christians actually took in the poor and stood up to political leaders that ultimately killed them. I mean, the gospel is pushing people to speak to political matters in scripture. And then this isn't something that's new. The, even the people who said the spirituality doctrine limited it to saying, but on issues of morality. And that issues of morality for them was evolution, In 1920, uh, then in 1860, the the Presbyterian Church, which is funny now, um, spoke adamantly against alcohol (laughs) and banning it from the nation. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, there's the same people that would say, yes, but we cannot speak on political matters. And so it seems like it's more of a matter of which political matters we're allowing ourselves to speak on because I do see in Scripture the people taking what is true about God and applying it to people, and again, kind of what um, Lawrence was saying is like, how's this become political? But it is, um, but it be, so it becomes divisive. Uh, here's what I want us to see: is that we're not Gnostics. You guys know what Gnosticism is? It's, it's saying that the the physical is evil. Uh, all that matters is your, is your spirit, and so. We're not Gnostics. We believe that God cares about body and soul, that God actually does care about your body. Um, And so he cares so much about that. King Jesus, the God of this world, cares so much about your soul and your body. The gospel pushes us to love people and, and care for orphans and widows and the foreigner and the poor. The gospel creates in us a desire to show empathy and compassion on all of God's creation while adoring and magnifying Christ as king, redeemer of the church. Like it, it, if we are just saying we are only going to believe the gospel, or just preach the gospel and leave as we say as, as Missy said like just leave that to the, the political realms we're, we're giving up we're giving up everything because the gospel is going to reach those areas like that's where we want to reach and if Malcolm were here, he would say, we can't not talk about politics, um, not in the sense that he wants to talk about it, but meaning that it's just a, it's a, it's a way of, of um, applying power, of, of, of making change. And we live in a really weird government where we actually are part of that change. We have a vote. It's not just that we elected a, or there's a king and we have to just do what they say. We have, like, have a part of that. Um, and so that, that makes us part of that. And that's where some of that social justice comes in play, that we, we want to see the change. Um, but let's, let's get specific here. Now, that, now I, I do believe we can, I, believe, I do believe we should, and I do believe we need to make sure we do it in a, in a way that um, uh, is winsome, and not just uh, argumentative, speak in a way that people actually hear you. I don't know if Facebook and Twitter help <laughs> sometimes, but um, it's a platform. Um, but one thing that we specifically want to address here, and what we're trying to talk about here, is um, breaking down walls racially. Um, breaking down walls uh, and building bridges and doing racial reconciliation. But I think before we go further, we have to define what that word racism means, and that's just such a charged word. And so the reason we're doing this now is because we want to talk about this here in our quarter. This is is training, right? Um, And how would you define, how would we define racism? I think getting there helps us and think about how we answer the problem.
4: I I like the way the book uses the term racialization. Mm. I think it's a term. Yeah. It kind of puts it out because it's a societal thing. It's not just an individual. And when we think of racism or we think of racists, we think of individuals. But really the problem is a societal problem, one that we often will be there and we don't even know it's there. We don't even, we don't, because we're a part of one group, we don't see how the other group lives. Mm-hmm. So we don't see the injustices or the institutional types of uh, policy that keeps one group down from another group. Yeah. You know, We don't know what it's like being an immigrant or, or walking across Mexico trying to get to the United States because you're desperate because you can't eat. You can't get a job. You know, we don't understand. If you don't... So so we we have a limited view of of reality. And and I think that's it's not so much that any of us would say that we don't love our neighbor. It's just we don't know it's like the parable, well who is our neighbor? I think we're in the process Mm -hmm. and I'm in that process too. Who is my neighbor?
0: Yeah.
4: Yeah. Part of my sinful self, I'm trying to justify myself, but then there's another part of me that's just honestly ignorant about what does it mean? Who is my view?
0: Someone want to add to that?
3: When I hear the word racism, to me it just from a it's like hate. Mm. Okay, you hate somebody because maybe they're black or they're mm-hmm. Chinese or whatever, and, and I don't see myself as racist in that way. Mm. But when reading the book, when they talk about racialization or the institutional
0: yeah. way that that groups are separated by race. That's really good. I really like that. I think that's a good way of... I think that's the normal response. If, so that's why I think the word is so charged. So we hear racism. I think that's great. We hear hate. And we're like, I don't hate you. Um, but I think the opening sentence of this of the book, of the intro, um, just kind of tells you... I think kinda it destabilizes you to go like, oh, maybe there's something more here. And just says, this book is a story of how well-intentioned people their values and their institutions actually recreate racial divisions and inequalities they ostensibly oppose. Just like, oh boy. (laughs) Do I keep reading. (laughs) Um, And so I think that's really helpful. Um, And so yeah, it uses the word racialization. We live in a racialized society in the sense that we we are never unaware of um, the person around us's uh, race or color. And he talks about how he was on the phone and someone could just, like, tell he was white by being on the phone. He's like, how did you know that? Like, you don't see me. Um, And there's just – you're never unaware of it. And it's not that we're just not ever unaware of it, but it also comes with all this value that we as a society have given it. Um, And that's where it's – so I think instead of hate – and so I think that's when we think of that, we think of KKK, right? I think that's kind of the. Evil. We think of Nazi Germany. Uh, we think of that type of that type of evil uh, form of racism. I think what's helpful for me uh, there's this uh, wasn't one it wasn't this book. It was one of those uh, books we, we recommended, uh, "Stamped from the Beginning." A guy named uh, Ibram Kendi. He defines racist ideas as this, and it's very simple. It's just kind of broad. Any concept that regards one racial group as inferior or superior to another racial group in any way. And so this means that if uh, something is, this means that if you think that there's something wrong with black people or black men or black women, that's rooted in a racist idea because there are dishonest black men as well as honest black men. There are dishonest white men as well as honest white men. There are gentle black women and mean black women. Just are there gentle white women and mean white women. And so if we can think of any stereotype why do we believe those stereotypes? Mm-hmm. What makes us go like, oh, that's true of them? Media. What's that?
4: Yeah, it's a lot of media.
0: media. Mm-hmm. And so we heard it once and we go, but why do we believe it? Why do we choose to say yes?
4: Mm-hmm. We start looking for it in real life and like validate what we've heard just by, mm-hmm. um, like if we don't like expose ourselves to the truth, we stay in like an Safe
0: mind. Yeah, so we want—we're looking for it almost as if we want to believe it, because what it said here, his his definition, and he regards that one racial group is inferior or superior, and so we're looking for other racial groups to be inferior to us, so we can feel superior. Yeah. Which, who of us has not wanted to do that? <laughs> like we all have inferiority complexes. We're all trying to feel better about ourselves. And if it's by pushing this person down, that makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. We see that in our kids. <laughs> like we, That happens at a very young age. And so if that's true of... of if, we have the, if we can see that as kind of a, a root issue that manifests itself in racism, I don't think we should be surprised when we see racism. Because it's a... It's a root issue that's now sprouting thorns. Um, and so I think what a lot of times we, like, we hate being called racist because we think uh, we're being called hat-er, you know, haters. We're, being called, we're saying that we're ignorant, like we don't actually know um, the truth here. We think we're being called dumb versus what's really true is that we're just saying um, we, we all have these inferiority-superiority complexes and we're all trying to justify ourselves and be better than another. And so racist ideas don't arise out of ignorance or hatred. They are created to justify and rationalize self-interest, pride, and greed. And so if Malcolm were here, (laughs) as he told me to tell you, (laughs) here's what he would say. Africans weren't living in wild chaos and didn't know how to defend themselves. And so uh, some men came and took them because they saw that they were inferior. No, they kidnapped these people, enslaved them, and created a concept that Africans were inferior to justify this horrific practice. And so the root, what's the root issue of racism here? Here it's greed. How can we do this? How can we make money? Let's do this. How can we justify this greedy practice? Let's say that they are three-fifths of a human being. And so Divide by Faith is, is, is hitting some of this. It talks about a racialized society, um, and it talks about that it, it's, racism is increasingly more covert than overt right now. Uh, it's embedded in the normal operations. It, it avoids direct racial terminology, and it's seemingly invisible. And so um, because racism is diverse, and again, I'm taking this directly from Malcolm, <laughs> it's the person who thinks black people are more emotional than white people. It's the person who thinks that white people are more intellectual than black people. It's also the person that thinks black people are disproportionately represented in our prison population, which is a fact. That means that black people are disproportionately criminal, which is false and racist. It is also the school teacher or school principal who doesn't expect or advocate for the success of his or her black students because they probably won't get it. Because beneath our skin color, there, we may have different types of hair that no one can tell, but in different skin, but no one can tell our, the difference between our bodies, our brains, and our blood. Uh, if you look at the molecular level, you can't, look, you can't tell a difference there. But we have been told for years through media, through parents, through our culture that we've grown up in, that those differences exist and they have meaning. This isn't anything new. This is going on in scripture. This isn't just an Amer- American problem. Right, you have uh, Jesus com- you know, is commissioning his disciples. He says, "I will send you to Jerusalem, to Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the world." To go to Samaria, I mean, the the Jewish Gentile difference there is just like, how could you go to them? Those dogs, right? They had they had their own, um, you know, charged words as well. All right, so this is the picture of, of, of uh, where we're at. Uh, this is what racism is. The pendulum swings, and so we say that's what racism is. It's this ugly, ugly thing. Uh, it, it looks like hatred. So we're going to swing the pendulum. Society's going to say, and we want to be colorblind. <laughs> Let me give you what, what, the, what that looks like. Um in this book, they, they re, they've researched 2,500 people um, in churches, different denominations, um, and they're asking these questions. And one, they're asking one question to different people, and they says, "Does does our country have a race problem?" And one person answers, "No," but I think we make it a problem. How? By talking more about it. The more we bring it up, it's like opening a wound again. And they believe by addressing the issues, we create deeper division and that division would lessen if it was just left alone. And therefore, it would be best just to be colorblind, to not see color, and that makes us all equal. How do we respond to the colorblind argument? How would you respond to the colorblind argument? I
5: wouldn't agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> and the only reason is that when people say they're colorblind, what it says to me is that you don't see me. Mm-hmm. and I do exist. I don't look like you, but I do exist, and I'm not going to look like you so you can't be colorblind. I'm different. Mm-hmm. By skin only. Like <laughs> from a molecular level and yeah. all of that, yeah. it's the same. Yeah. But I think when people say, you know, we, we don't see color, we don't, we do. There are different shades. We see it. It's different. Yeah. It's good, though.
0: And people are just lying, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it's a fact. Like as the, as we've talked about, like we live in a rela- racialized society where we're never unaware of someone's color, and so if we say we're colorblind, one we're lying, <laughs> but two I think what is the most important is what you said that you don't see me. Anyone else? If hey, hey, Malcolm were here. <laughs> 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 that another thing you point out is <laughs> <He's> that. <there. laughs>
1: Sure, he makes it back.
0: If <laughs> <laughs> he does make it back, we're gonna be just fine. Moral <laughs> uh, traditions. Yeah. Uh, even, even if everybody was colorblind, that you still have underlying issues from history, from from history, and so it's not like the example of a wound. That, I mean, you're right. Opening up the wound does re return up stuff and we'd like to ignore it, but if the wound isn't healed. Mm-hmm just because it's scabbed over, if there's an infection underneath, then then things are going to continue to get worse for the body, even though it may look fine on on the surface. And I think that's the way it is with race relations globally, but particularly in the U.S., because there, there is a history of things that need to be dealt with. And so the colorblind argument doesn't work because what it wants to do is it wants to pretend that the surface looks fine, but it never deals with the... With the underlying issue, yeah, ends, and and that, that's that one. So you do have to you do have to
2: expose things in order to fix things. Yeah, that's so good. Shows a lack of appreciation. Mm. And it's kind of like gender equality, but if anybody else uh, with it. But I mean, it's kind of like saying we're equal, and if I do that, I don't show the appreciation I have for the things that she's different mm. from me in the same way. Somebody different background, whatever it may be, right? We, Dismiss whatever's different and
0: good. Yeah, yeah. We're we're missing out on the fuller picture if we don't, if we do that.
3: And it's just harder to, when someone's different from you, it's harder than someone who's the same. Mm -hmm. You have to learn somebody's history, you have to learn their background, where they grew up, their culture, their language. So by saying, well, let's, let's just be colorblind, it's kind of a cop out because what you're saying is. It's too hard to be different, so let's just pretend we're all the same. So, I think that's the other hard issue is um, we don't like doing things that are hard, so mm-hmm. let's just mm-hmm. pretend that the issue is the diff, you know, let's solve it by just pretending we're the same.
0: Yeah, um. I don't know if I've heard anyone, um, kind of in a minority context, argue for colorblind. I don't know if. I've heard that. I mean, so I uh, there's a pastor up in Dallas. Um, he's a, a church plant of the Village, and I was meeting with him. Um, he's an African American pastor, and he was talk, talking to him. I was telling him about kind of our our church and all that, and I told him how you know one of the things we're talking about is colorblind and things like that. and He's like, "You mean people ask you like people are not on board with that, like that you're that you are not colorblind?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a big deal." He's like no one would ever come up to me and ask me that. <laughs> it's like, that's just not even like, I don't have a ra- on my radar. Yeah. Um, and so, I, but it clearly is. I've heard it in multiple circles um, and maybe you guys have too. I see some nodding heads. Um,
2: well, I think kind of brings up a really good point too because this is why we stopped the discussion at diversity instead of moving further to equity.
1: That
2: we're okay then if we have, then we're, we're sort of congratulating ourselves often by saying, at least we're diverse, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not sufficient. Yeah, uh, Bible doesn't let us stop there. The Bible moves us to equity <laughs> and all, in going to your Romans three, way before Romans three is Genesis one and two. <laughs> all are created in the image of God, mm-hmm. and so we, I mean, we have to deal with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's going to take the hard work of slowing down and learning each other's culture. And we'll be honest, as we've said from the beginning, we're going to mess up as a church. <laughs> we're going we're to offend, we're going to get it wrong, um, but we're trying to push in this direction. Um, let me go to this last one, and this is where Bo is leading us early on. Is the problem in our country individual or structural? Structural. Is, is, the, is the, the problem that we have in our country, and I think we will all agree there is a problem, um, I, maybe. We can, I presuppose that. Um, <laughs> uh, is it individual or structural? Is it because we have particular racist people that are doing uh, evil racist acts? Or is it because we have a structure set up um, that is dividing us? What do
4: y'all think? Well it's, it's really to me the structure is what in the book is emphasized um, although you reading Romans three would say that it's individual, so it's both but particularly the the homogeneous unit principle, the idea that people will go to like people and there's a church growth movement started really by gathering, I think and and Wagner later on pushed it, and it, the idea was churches, they really promoted the idea of start churches with a, a target, a demographic, and focus on that demographic. So that really the churches that came out of that uh, were churches that were very particular to other ethnic groups. You had Korean churches, and you had, and, 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 and denominations were very good at starting churches that way, you can start a lot of churches that way. And they found that when they tried to, and in my own experience, I've seen churches, like for instance, in the Gallen, they tried to start a Spanish uh, Anglo church, and they both moved, Even there's two different churches now, two mm. different places, mm. uh, they moved away from each other, and, and that's the norm. Yeah. And, and there's no, so, and now, but the thing is that the, the church growth movement encouraged that. They thought there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way it should be. The focus should be on growing the church, making it bigger. Okay? And that was the... And and it's and so... And this book here points out how that, that causes structural problems. That, that the church, although it, it wants to see justice, because of the, the, its makeup now, because it's so divided, it actually causes more of a problem than it solves.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I heard both over here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is the problem structural or individual? And y'all, I heard both from you too. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
5: Yeah. Because when you look at um, systems that are in place, I think you mentioned that a little bit long ago. Um, like people will say, "Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not racist, or you know, I don't." don't treat people differently but there are systems in place that people do not say anything about Mm -hmm. the educational system the criminal justice system there are so many systems that really you see that difference you know in in people of color Mm -hmm. but no one says anything about it so if you're not racist why are you not saying anything about it if you see some injustices being done you know as a christian why are you not saying anything Are you agreeing with it if
0: you don't say anything? Uh Uh-huh. Here's where I think um, we can really grow um, as a society and I think as a church um, right here that we can kind of be, um, we have a unique avenue to speak to the majority culture um, with this. Because I think this is maybe the heart of this book. And that's probably why Bo went straight to it. Um, um, that there is a huge difference between seeing the problem as solely individual versus <coughs> structural. And I, so I think the, this is the thing that I think is kind of more scales are falling from, you know, from my eyes. Um, you know, every time you think you're like, oh, okay, now I'm getting it. You're like, oh, now I'm getting it. <laughs> um, because the, here, I'll give you some quotes here. One, one. Presbyterian man said, I think we have individuals still that have race-relation problems. I don't think the country has, a, has problems in its current form, uh, but individuals too. And so the, uh, it's not the country, it's individuals. Uh, and this is why in the Jim Crow era, most evangelicals, even in the North, did not think it was their duty to oppose segregation. It was enough to just treat black people they knew personally with courtesy and fairness. All the while, people in power were segregating and demeaning them. And what he talks about in this is that evangelicals have a toolkit, a way of understanding the world. Like, we all have toolkits, and we, you know, sometimes you, if you're a hammer, all, everything you see is a nail. So just every, it's your way of seeing the world. And evangelicals have this accountable, free will individualism. We'll talk about that in a second. Relationalism, and because of those two things, anti-structuralism. And what that means is if we believe humans have a free will, and therefore if you're poor, it's probably because of some poor, bad life choices. Because like, we know poor people who, who brought themselves up out of that situation. And if you didn't, then there's probably because of something that you, you, you didn't do. Or it's because you were relational. You were with the wrong crowd. But again, that comes back to you chose to run with that wrong crowd. And therefore, all of our problems can be deduced to bad relationships. And therefore, it's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue is the refrain. We're not promoting that.
1: <laughs>
0: Clarity. Because we believe in personal salvation, I have a personal Savior, um, and I have personal accountability, this is where it becomes tough because I – it's hard for us to get into the structural. Evangelicals are anti-structural because they believe that if you're saying a problem is structural, it's systemic, it shifts guilt away from individuals, and now we're just blame shifting instead of owning up to the problem. This is this is the thought. How can we, how can people own the problem, and, and pull up their bootstraps if we're saying it's really not your problem? And this is this is the thought we're to be anti-structural. And so the typical response to this is it's an individual problem, therefore we need an individual solution. And so, evangelicals' response to the race problem is simply. Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Right. That, that is our answer. That's all we got. Um, which we would say, yes, do it. <laughs> Personal one-on-one friendship is actually really good uh, and actually has shown to help us understand the world uh, uh, differently when we have friends of different color around us. But that's one dimension of the problem. And here's a great quote from a guy named uh, Stokely Carmichael. If the building is on the verge of collapse due to inadequate design, improving the quality of the bricks without improving the design is not a solution. We're just changing bricks when the foundation is, 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 is off. And so we as a church need to be befriending people who are different than us. And that's the beauty of a multicultural church. But we also need to have, uh, to consider the structural reasons things are the way they are. We have to see the problem as deeper and more complex than just that. And John Perkins, who we'll we'll sing about forever, uh, and I'll tell you more about him if you haven't heard about it yet, um, uses this great analogy. He says, it's like the issue is saying this. You're in the seventh inning of a baseball game. Well, you baseball people here. And one team is up 20 to nothing. And they find out that the winning team has been cheating all along. And then they say, okay, 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 we're sorry. Let's just go back out and finish the game. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously, that's not fair. Um, they already are up 20 runs up. And so that's one reason, he says, why I'm uncomfortable with this kind of let's just go, rela- g- go to a relationship but not really addressing the structural issues approach. The legacy is there. And so it's not I forgive you and it's done. It's too complex for that. It's got to be a lifetime process hear that. John Perkins is saying, this has to be a lifetime process. This is a very complex and very rooted issue. And so what we're calling to you guys at this church is hard. In fact, it's almost impossible without Jesus. What we're calling to you is, is for you to actually have a conviction of this, not just, we'd like this to happen. We have to have a conviction that something's got to change. And so earlier I asked us, um, is the cost of staying the same greater than the cost of change? Does it actually cost more to do nothing? When – did you know that the net worth of African-Americans in our country right now is 8% of that of whites? That African-American babies die at a rate of over twice the frequency of white babies. And then let's make it local. Here in East Waco, seventy percent of African American, twenty percent Hispanic, and the median income of this area is nineteen thousand a year. Nineteen thousand a year. JH Hines has ninety-seven percent of its students that are economically disadvantaged. What is it at Carver? Same. Same. So when you're wondering where your next meal is coming from, you are you worried about homework? Are you worried about reading? Michael, you know this. <laughs> as you guys might have read from Andrea Bearfield's interview, I, I sent you guys on the email. She said, East Waco is a food desert. It's a news desert, how information is transmitted. What's broken is not the people. As she says here, what's broken is the access. Is that individual or structural? Structural. You can hear it. Access to transportation, to opportunities. And so the problem is huge. It's dire, we need answers now, we need help now, we need mentors, we need teachers, we need Jesus to move greatly, and we need it now. Like this is, I'll quote MLK for us to to just get real excited. (laughs) We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off Or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. So good. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time, now, to make justice a reality for all God's children. I love that fierce urgency of now. That is like burning in me. Maybe because I'm just impatient. (laughs) But also, I think when you see it, that it's real, it's not just ethereal, that it it has to be now. And so, do nothing and things will go as is. We can live in a country with 88% of our churches segregated. We can do nothing and city lines will stay divided and opportunities will be based on where you live. And our country and our city will continue in the paths we've taken. We can do nothing and we will guarantee our society will continue to drift with the culture. But if we do something, we read books like this, we have hard conversations and we step out and talk to people that we have avenues to speak with in winsome ways to, to actually not just close doors, then I believe that this could actually happen. I just don't think we're having these conversations because it was just closed off. It's something we didn't talk about, that we could actually do something. And so this is, why, this is why another church, because we don't want it to be another church. We want this to be a church that is, is actually bringing multiple cultures together. And we don't see that. Not just saying in Waco. We're saying 88% of our, our country is segregated. And so because Christ has broken down dividing walls— We want to break down walls. And so let me just end with Ephesians 2. This is where that comes from. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two. And so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross and thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Man, It's beautiful. I pray we can be no longer strangers and aliens with one another, but fellow citizens and see ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would unite us. Lord, we've been praying for you, unity in this city, the unity in this church. Lord, help unite us to have a, a burden and a conviction for you to work now. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for Martin's words to have that fierce urgency of now. Lord, help us to see the, the ugliness and the brokenness as it is. But Lord, help us to see that you can do mighty and powerful and beautiful things now. And so Lord, we we do pray and we don't ask these things lightly. God, that you would work mightily here in this church, through this church, through these the, the people of this church, in their relationships, in school, at work, with their friends, that they would start... Asking tough questions, because, Lord, we know just not talking about it isn't going to help. The issue is, is deeper. As Josiah said, the, the infection is worse than we think. And so, Lord, we, we do want to talk about it. We do want to address the wounds. And so, Lord, would you use Mosaic to do that? Not, not the, the physical uh, nonprofit of Mosaic, but, Lord, the people. Uh, the people in this room lord to do this and so jesus we know you can do it you can do all things you can speak through a donkey and so we know you can use us and we pray this in jesus name amen Amen. Amen. all right well we we ended a little early because i love you (laughs) oh yeah the food as well needs to be taken out oops sorry um but also because there's a, a lady basketball uh Game going on, Baylor Lady Bears are in the national championship, and we'll have it on right here for you, um, so you don't have to go. Um, but we have we have lasagna that should have been taken out. Could you grab that for me? <laughs> uh, there's there's pot holders on the right, and um, that drawer on the right there. But as always, use this time to get to know one another, greet one another, and if you don't know someone, we should have done name tags next week. Next, we're going back to name tags.
1: And we have our prayer board.
0: Real quick, we have our prayer board up here. This is not just for you to, to look at. Please write your prayers up there. We want to be praying for you, as well as if you come in and read, you can be praying for things. And we'll take a picture and send it out. Sure. Or you may do that. not
1: take All right.
0: Frank. I am. I'm I don't even see the. way <laughs>